ever spoke the way this man does. It was said of him. We're talking, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one ever spoke the way that he did. Everything about the Lord showed who he was and where he had come from. Uh, indeed, he charged the Pharisees and others with precisely that, that they didn't recognize him because they didn't know his father. And in another place, they knew nothing of the father and his word, and therefore they knew nothing of him. But everything he spoke, everything he said and did, spoke who he was. So when, for example, he refused to answer a question, as he sometimes did, no man spoke like that. It would be hard to emulate, and we wouldn't seek to do so, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the way that he behaved in his speech, as often recorded in scriptures. We don't have the, uh, the liberty, the right, to, it would be considered rude sometimes, in fact. But of course, the Lord saw right into the heart the Lord had an agenda which was not of this world, as indeed he told Pilate. And he spoke as one. And so sometimes he answered a question with a question, as for example when they asked him who taxes ought to be paid for. And he said, show me a coin. And he took the discussion, he took the debate in the direction that he needed it, required it, commanded it to go. So when we think that no man spoke like the Lord Jesus, even when he didn't speak, no man, as it were, spoke like him. Every time he spoke, it was a witness of heaven. Think about that for a moment. Every time he opened his mouth, it was a witness of heaven. There was no slip, no mistake, no unguarded word, no regretted word or phrase. Everything was an echo of heaven. Well, we live in a world of constant speech, don't we? We live in a world... Point at the screen. Doesn't want to go, huh? No? Good. Oh, now has it gone too far? Right, that was you, well done. So shall I tell you when I want to move on? Right, okay. Right, and we live in a culture which works a bit like that, as you see up on the screen. It says, I'm only responsible for what I say, not for what you understand. We live in a world where People speak recklessly, don't they? They say what they want to say. They have so many platforms for saying it. And people take offence at the slightest thing. They look for offence and they give offence back. Uh, and the advent of social media has, has multiplied that a thousand, a million fold probably. The amount of speech which goes round and round, relentless words. It's often difficult to tell what words mean, even if people mean well, isn't it? Uh, 
We've got people like William Shakespeare. We've got philosophers and even some politicians, believe it or not, who've said some great things, who've shared great things with us. But now we have people who do it blogging. They might be 14 or 15 and they might have an audience of millions. They might have a name, a super blogger, and they tell other people how to live their lives. And whether it's them, or whether it's the politicians, or whether it's Shakespeare, they have nothing whatsoever on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that anybody else can teach us that the Lord can't teach us better and for eternity. Yet, the more voices, the more disagreement. You wouldn't disagree with that, I don't think. We live in a disagreeable world. And it makes people perplexed. But in the account that we have here, we've got an account of distance healing, 15 miles. A word being spoken and somebody being healed at a distance. And it's telling how little confusion there is in it and how much the Lord directs himself to that confusion of, of this official and puts, it, puts him straight with the word and not only that, with a miraculous word that puts everyone in the situation straight. This, this certain nobleman, and it says that he'd um, come away, that he'd travelled. It's thought that perhaps he'd come from Herod's court, although the words don't tell us so, but it's thought it, it might have been from Herod. And the words literally say, he went away to him. Where we read, he travelled, he went away to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He left the court, he left places where important things were said and decided, and he went, he travelled 15 miles, and of course, as you would know, that was no small thing in those days. It was no small thing to, to do that. It's not like travelling from here, sort of near to Cambridge, for example, um, or to Royston, it's, it's not like that at all. It's an enterprise but there was no court dwelling that could help this man when life was on the line. And that's how it is, isn't it? You might have all the trappings, you might have all the riches, you might have everything this world can offer, but when there is actually life on the line, you have nothing. You, you can't do anything about it. Now, of course, we've been praying for our brother Colin, and we know that to an extent, the NHS, the health services, can do much. And we thank the Lord that they have done that in his case. And yet ultimately we know, and Colin would be the first to say, as we know, that our life is in his hands. And we wouldn't wish it anywhere else. In the Lord's hands. He'd heard that there was a man come into the area who'd done miracles. He'd done miracles before. Again, you might not remember this, but I did actually preach once here on the miracle of Cana. And I remarked what it was that the servants knew, but no one else knew that the water had been turned into wine. And I suggested that if the servants knew, it wouldn't be long before everybody else knew. Well, I think it's taken several years to find it, but here's the proof. Here's the proof that, in fact, they did tell other people and this man's fame, the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed 
this fame had travelled so that this official, this important person from a distance away where travel and communication was anything but easy had heard and wanted to come. He wanted to come to a man who spoke authoritatively, who spoke to water and it became wine, who spoke to his creation, the very waves, and they became still. Do you want to go? John says this of the Lord, one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from a heaven is above all. This is the one we're looking at. This is the one that the official was looking at. The one who came from heaven, who is above all, whose words are literally, if you will, out of this world. Theologians argue a lot about the words of the Lord, don't they, as they argue about everything. But one thing that most theologians agree upon is that when the Lord speaks, his purpose is ultimately redemption. Every time the Lord speaks, his overarching purpose, his overall purpose is saving souls, the redemption plan. So uh, theologians call it the salvific plan, the salvation plan. Every time the Lord opened his mouth, that was what was in view, whether it was the individual, whether it was this man, the official, whether it was his son, a distance away. For this I came, says the Lord in effect, to do the Father's will, to bring the sheep wherever they are, whether they're in front of me, 15 miles away, or 2,000 years in the future. Every word that the Lord speaks is for that purpose, all divine. And so we might find it a little harsh as we look at the actual words that he says to this man who comes asking for healing. Um, first of all, Jesus says to him, verse 46, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That seems very hard, doesn't it? Very harsh. Remember what I said earlier, that there is no such thing with the Lord, that everything is designed to leave to grace. We would just be incredibly rude if we said something like that, wouldn't we? If we turned to someone who was inquiring and we said, unless you see a miracle, you're not going to believe, we would be unable to say such a thing and be right and be holy. But this is the Lord of all creation speaking, who looks right into the hearts. And he gets down to the point, you've come looking for a miracle, and unless you see one, you won't believe. You haven't come to me for salvation. You've come to me for something else, even though it's a good thing, the healing of your son. You've come for another thing. And of course, we know all about that in this world, don't we? People who promise God that if such and such happens, if somebody recovers from an illness, then, then they'll worship God. And of course, there is a recovery, and they don't worship, because these things are not in our gift. They're not in our power. We need to make such statements with our hearts open before the Lord and that means repentance that means the openness of repentance and the life of faith so Jesus says this thing to this convicted man and he knows that in fact miracles don't do the job uh, he says 
in this chapter, in verse 44, he's testified, Jesus himself had testified, that a prophet has no honour in his own town. So he knows that the miracles don't do it, the words don't do it, unless the heart is engaged in repentance and faith with the person in front of us this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And when we come to him, we need to be praying for life, our own life, salvation life. We live in a world full of experts. On the screen it says, Confucius say, stop putting words in my mouth. We know that Confucius is often quoted as saying, this or that wise thing. And there is a picture of Confucius saying, stop saying what I said. Stop inventing what I said. It's very hard to get these words right. But there's no such difficulty with the Lord Jesus and his word because the Holy Spirit is alive and active. And so we read in his word that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We read that it's able to cut right through the divisions, right into our heart, right into our life. It's much different with the words of the Lord Jesus. He speaks to a compliant creation and it falls into line. Yet, what a sea of words surrounds us everywhere. Got a lot of words on the board. I'm not going to read them all, but <coughs> they say things like business, industry, organisation, strategy, woman power, synergy, coaching, training, teamwork, mission. If you're unfortunate enough to be in a job where they send you on courses, you'll be more familiar than you want to be with some of these words, some of these ideas that people fire off. If only we can organise in the right way. If only we can coach people's lives. If only we can train them to do this or that. Then it might work. The world might work. But of course, we know that that's far from being the case. It's far from true. In the end... It's the words of the Lord Jesus. What does he say <coughs> to this man after the healing has taken place? <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 50. Go. Go on. Go on. Go. Your son will live. It's done. It's accomplished. We don't know at this point whether the man believed. We certainly later on in the account know that he did. But the Lord says to the man, you can go. It's done. It's not hard for the Lord. If you come to the Lord this morning and confess your sin and turn over your life to him and repent and walk his way and learn to love his word through the Spirit, it won't fail. It won't go wrong. It won't fall to the ground. The Lord honours his words. It's not like all these words behind me. It's not like one piece of advice and then another and another and another rule to follow and yet one more. We come to the Lord and he lives within us through his Holy Spirit and his law becomes alive to us in that case. Today, people say that we should consult. We should organise. We should eat this. Or maybe we should not eat that. The papers are full of it, aren't they? Advice. You turn up over a paper and in its 32 pages or so, you've probably got eight or nine pages at least of advice telling you tomorrow morning 
how you should live your life, what you should eat, how you should breathe, what you should do when somebody says something to you or things happen. We live in a world that's full of advice. And one of the most important pieces of advice that people think they're giving is to say, be yourself. Be yourself. That's Hollywood's message. Be yourself. No matter how nice the songs, no matter how animated the creatures before us, in the end, the message is always the same. Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Unfortunately, being ourselves is just who we don't want to be. If we want to know eternal life, if we want to come into the holy life that God requires, and if we want to see heaven and holiness, that's exactly who we don't want to be. We don't want to be ourselves. For we're, in that case, we're without hope. We're without help. But we want the Lord Jesus Christ, the man who speaks, and it is so. He speaks, and it's just done. So, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands in the heavens, in that psalm. Your word is eternal. It stands in the heavens. So when the Lord Jesus says, go, you're healed, or your son is healed, the Father has already spoken in eternity past, in eternity present, in eternity future. The Father has spoken and said, it's done. It is so. Exactly as when the Lord stilled the waves. The Lord speaks, he opens his mouth, and it is so. It is in no other way but how the Lord says it to be. It is so. It's done in the heavens. He speaks, and it is so. But in our world, we're told to do all kinds of things. There's a, a picture on the screen of, it's from an Edward Lear uh, limerick or story. And there's someone up the top of a tree and they're kind of waving their arms down to people who are at the bottom of the tree and telling them things. And it's the kind of picture I've got there for our media age. Imagine the person at the top of the tree there has a phone in their hand, if you like. And that's advice for the age, isn't it? You need to get on your device. You need to follow someone, perhaps. You need to be one of their dedicated followers. Although we notice in the picture that some, some are running away, some are legging it as fast as they can go. There's no guarantee that if somebody speaks wise words that everyone's going to stay around to listen in our world. And so in verse 49, this man says to him, he repeats his story in effect, come down, come 15 miles, Lord, before my child dies. This man repeats his story and he gets the answer from Jesus. Uh, you can just go. You just need to go. There's no further condemnation. This man is certainly quieted. But is he convinced yet? Well, it, it doesn't seem so from the questions he asks when he gets home. He has a question in mind, I guess, which runs something like this. Are you able to do it in time, Lord? Are you able to do it in time because time is running out and of course we live in a world like that don't we we live in a world in which all our things that we have to engage in are measured against time and we're always worried that there won't be enough time 
that other things will come and intervene. Time will run out, in effect. Time never runs out with the Lord. How can it when all time is in his hand? All time is the Lord's time. Uh, We need as Christians to think about that when we are so prone to anxiety, so prone to planning and then adjusting the plans and then adjusting them again. All time is in his hand. This man speaks as one of us, doesn't he? He says, you might run out. If you don't come quick, it might be all over and then there'd be no point in you coming. It's faith and yet it isn't faith. You can only do so much. The Lord says, you may go. And we may go because when the Lord speaks into our hearts of salvation, our foolish self dies. On the screen it says, I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. Hosea 6, verse 5. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. That's a story of salvation. The Lord kills this with the words of his mouth. He says, you're no good. He says, what you're trusting in won't last. It won't bring you to health, to me, to holiness, and to heaven. It's no good. The Lord Jesus kills these things with the words of his mouth. And he says, go. He says, go and follow me. Go and live for me. He spoke on that cross. He said, it was finished. We know what was finished. Sin was nailed to that cross. Self died at that cross. He bore away our judgment. And he shines, doesn't he? On that account, we're coming to the Lord's table this evening. It's a glorious thing. He shines because of what he did on that cross. As he said, as his words said, it is finished. Everything that you can do for salvation is finished, accomplished. There's nothing to be added. And so this man goes away. He went believing that words change lives. And so there's a picture of a man looking there. And there's a picture of a woman covering an eye, covering a mouth. There's nothing more to be said when the Lord speaks. We've heard enough, haven't we? When we meet with the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, dying for our sin on that cross, rising again, rising into heaven, coming to us by his spirit, speaking to us through his word, telling us how to live. We have heard enough, surely. Faith does not disappoint says in this word, he will speak peace to the heathen. It's in Handel's Messiah. He'll speak peace to your heathen soul, to your soul that trusts in everything, trusts in time which is running out, trusts in your own way and plan. He speaks peace to it, and he doesn't disappoint. What a believing life awaited this man. John 3.33, whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. If you accept God's words, you certify, you testify that God is truthful. That's what you're doing. You're saying, away with all the rest of it, this word, this saviour in my heart, through his word, speaks truth. And that's what this man was doing. He went away convinced that a believing life awaited. 
And so he asks in verse 52, what time was it? I don't imagine he asks in doubt at this point. I think he asks in trembling wonder. We sing about that in one of the old hymns, I think. Trembling wonder. Well, I reckon that's a phrase that will do for this official. He can, he can scarcely wait for the answer. What time was it? And he's expecting the answer, isn't he? It was at the time when Jesus spoke. That's when you come to life. That's when you live. When Jesus speaks, when you allow him to speak in your word. And so now this boy is fighting fit. What about the rest of the family? It's the same recipe. Jesus' words will be healing them just as with the boy. They were 15 miles away. But the spirit of the Lord that breathed life into that boy and brought life to the father, he brings Jesus' life, Jesus' words to them. When the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to his father in John 17, when he prayed that prayer in the garden, he asked his father that in a, word of, in a world of competing truth, such as we've been talking about, the world that we certainly live in today, in a world of words and competing truth, we might be holy. That's the thing that he asked for, that we might be holy. Without which, says the word of God, no man can see the Father. And it's a hopeless task, holiness. No reformation will do it. No dry January will help. It's a word that needs to be spoken by the Lord into our lives. Sanctify them, the Lord says in the garden here, John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It's the word of the Lord that saves. It's the word of the Lord that goes beyond that, that makes us holy. It's this word that we read, this word communicated to our lives and hearts through his indwelling spirit. That's what the whole business has been about from start to finish. That's the salvation plan. That's the plan to bring us to heaven. Salvation, cleansing, forgiveness, holy lives without which no man, no woman can enter heaven. But when the living words break in, there's life. Many in Galilee heard those words in Nazareth and they were untouched. They simply said, how can anything good come out of this place or that place? There are so many places for us to look this morning, but only one that will give life. This word, this saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has the best of counsel in every situation. And as we come to him, we find this, Psalm 119, verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Those people in Nazareth, they would have known these words because it's a psalm. It's part of the Old Testament. They would have known that these words were said to be sweet by the Lord himself. Those Pharisees, the ones who had actually bits draping from their clothes on which were written texts, maybe this one, they, kept, they walked around with bits of the Bible stuck to them on their clothes. They would have known this word. 
that the word of the Lord is sweet, but they would have known nothing of the experience of it. Don't let that be you this morning. Don't let that be you, that you know about this, you know these words, you know about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came to die and to save sinners, but you know nothing of it, really, in your life outside, in your real life, as it were. You know nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let that be you. His words are sweet because they save. His words are sweet because they're perfect and holy and good. He means nothing but good for his people. No matter how it turns out, no matter what happens to us, his purpose is goodness. All things work together for good for those that are, to those that are the called according to his purpose. Do you believe that this morning? You must believe it. The goodness of the Lord. But it's the entrance of the words that brings life. Psalm 119, 130, I haven't got that on the screen. The entrance of your words brings life. They must come in. You must pray for them to come in. You must appeal to the Lord that that life comes to you. Words that leads to repentance, confession, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Can anything be sweeter? No one speaks like the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what you read on your phone today, tomorrow, forever, you won't find anything like the Lord Jesus Christ because you won't find anything else that saves, that loves, that is so kind, so good, and so forever. People like to use that word, don't they? Forever yours. In this life, nothing is forever, but Jesus is. He's forever now, and he leads us into that holiness without which no man will see the Father, the holiness of heaven, where we will be perfect. And what will we do there? Well, we don't quite know in truth, do we? We have pictures in the scripture, but they certainly involve words. They involve praise, eternal, consistent, continuous praise. And we won't get bored doing it. There won't be clouds and harps and that stuff, but there will be praise. There will be jobs to do, and we will love them, and he will love us, and we will live as we were intended to do. That's what it's about, redemption, the redemption story. It's Eden restored. The whole business from start to finish is Eden restored. Us with him in his holy heaven. What could be better? What could be better this morning than the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? All thanks to him. Amen.